All right, well, good morning. Good morning. Um, before I jump into our study this morning, I want to say this. First, I want to say um, Joseph's message last week was wonderful, was incredible. Um, and if you were not here last Sunday morning to hear his message on singleness and mission, I implore you to listen to that talk last Sunday. Our boys were away at a retreat last Sunday, and so this past week I said, guys, we're going out for ice cream, we're going to get ice cream, we're going to sit in the car, we're going to listen to that message. And we did, and we had a great conversation um, afterward after hearing that message. And you need to hear the truth that he presented from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, as it relates to three things every single person must have. He talked about missional clarity, he talked about sexual purity, and relational intentionality. Um, and whether you are uh, single or married, you need to listen to that message. And if you have teens or preteens, you need to sit down with them and you need to listen to that message together and talk about that. And as an aside, let me just say this, as the pastor, if you will, or the shepherd of Living Church, uh, as Joseph was talking last week, and um, I've known Joseph since he was in sixth grade, I kind of sat there as a proud dad, I guess, makes me feel old, maybe big brother, I don't know, but it made me very um, thankful for Living Church. It made me very thankful for the living community pastors that we have, um, and people in this church, men and women, who are able to take the bread of God's word and break it apart and feed and fill us. It just made me very thankful for you as a church. And I was very, I'm very privileged in the sense of and humbled to be part of a people like you are. And and I I came away from that last Sunday feeling that. And you need to hear that. You need to hear that God is doing a great work in you, church. A great work in you. And he's using you mightily to proclaim the glory and the gospel of Jesus. And it's truly a gift for us as a people to have so many of us who are able to take the word of God, present it, and teach it to us. So Joseph, thank you for that last week. And it's, it's my turn this week to kind of pick up the baton, if you will, in this marriage and relationship series. And as you can tell, this series is going to be a little bit different, not only in the way the room is going to be set up in the coming weeks, Um, as you see it today, but also at times I'm going to have my wife, Andrea, of 22 years kind of participate in this as well in our our teaching and our time together. And um, before I jump into this morning, you need to know this, though, as far as Andrea and I have been married for 22 years, but hear me when I say this. We don't come to you as this as marriage experts. All right, we don't. We have had our fair share of struggles and disagreements. There have been moments in our marriage when I was so mad, I hopped in the car and took off. I obviously came back, all right? But there have been moments where I was just so upset. I just, so mad. I just hopped in the car and just, I didn't even know where I was going. I just took off. I was so mad. There have been things that I have said to her that have brought tears to her. Um, there are things that she has said to me that sent me up to the bedroom and me have a little pity party going, does she know who she has? Come on. Does she really know? Does she know how hard? I mean, all this like, okay, crazy. I'm a moron. All right? But we've had those moments. We still have those moments. And so you need to hear that from us, that we don't come at this as marriage experts, if you will. We have our share of disagreements. We miscommunicate with one another. We say things to each other we don't mean. We get frustrated. We're just two people who daily need the grace of God to make our marriage what I believe and what we believe God desires it to be. We're just two sinners rescued by the saving, forgiving grace of Jesus and who desire and need that same grace now, just as much now as we did 
22 years ago when we jumped into marriage. Um, we're not marriage heroes. We don't see ourselves as that. All right, we're just here desiring to have a marriage that we believe God desires for us. And we believe that God has for every married person in this room and throughout. And my hope is that whether you're here in this room, married or single, there will be principles that you will be able to take with you and apply into your relationship now, whether that be principles that if you're married, you need to use to renovate your marriage, or if you're not married, single, and if God's plan is for you to become married, there will be principles that will help you lay a foundation, a strong foundation in the grace and gospel of Jesus. Um, this, this series is going to take us deep into the month of May, um, and we're going to be looking at a lot of different subjects this morning. Lord willing, if we have time, we're going to be looking at um, God's heart for the wife. Um, next Sunday, we'll be looking at God's heart for the husband. We'll be unwrapping some biblical roles for husbands and wives. We'll be looking at thoughts on communication and even um, having a Sunday where we'll devote specifically to the sexual relationship. And we're working on that as far as providing something for the kids not in here. All right, so we can be frank and honest and, and those kinds of things. So um, the nature of some of our conversation, I'm, I, I don't usually manuscript my messages, but because of the nature of these kinds of conversations, I've done that this time. So hopefully um, I'll be very um, cautious in the sense of understanding that there are children in the room, but yet be frank and honest at the same time with what the scriptures teach. Um, but this morning, um, we're going to spend a lot of time in the Song of Solomon, and I hope you're there. So if you're not, turn in your Bibles or your phones to Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 1. And this is where we're going to spend our time over the next several weeks. We're going to look at several other scriptures as well and passages, but this is going to be kind of uh, our home, if you will, for this series. The Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon is an interesting little book. Some refer to it and have referred to it as the Holy of Holies of the Old Testament. So the Holy of Holies was a sacred place where the presence of God dwelt. And so here, some people have said this is, there's something very supernatural. Obviously, it's scripture, but there's something very personal about the very presence of God that is tucked away in this little eight-chapter book in the Old Testament. Now, I, I've been raised in church all my life. I've, been, I've probably heard hundreds, if not thousands, of messages. And I can honestly tell you, I cannot ever remember hearing a church or a pastor teach on the Song of Solomon. But after reading the Song of Solomon, I can kind of understand the hesitation a little bit, all right? There's a lot of sensual language in this songbook, um, and it can make some people uncomfortable in a church setting. Um, it can make parents blush, all right, in, in some ways because of the type of language that it is. In fact, in studying for this, I read how some Jewish rabbis would instruct their protégés to wait till age 30 to read this book. All right, so we're going to read this book. All right, we're going we're gonna to attempt as best we can to um, unwrap the principles and truth for, from this little songbook. Now, there's a lot of different understanding about this book and around this book, and um, I want us to watch about a six-minute video that I believe gives a good understanding, a good background for us uh, and historical understanding of this of this book, and, and we're going to watch this, and then we'll, we'll continue on. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Now, like King of Kings, the phrase King of Kings, or the Holy of Holies, 
The Song of Songs literally means the greatest of songs. So this little eight chapter song book is on the greatest hits album. And not only is it on the greatest hits album, it is the greatest hit. This is it. And what's interesting to me is that this little songbook happens to be about marriage and the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. And I love that because I think it reveals something about our God and how practical he is and what his desire is in the sense of marriage and between a husband and wife and their physical attraction and relationship with one another. But as the video kind of declared, there can be a lot of misunderstanding or a lot of different understandings as far as the meaning of this little songbook. It can be difficult. And as they shared, some believe that King Solomon wrote it, um, but that's difficult when, as it said, you consider that Solomon had 700 wives and more girls on the side. So it's hard for me to believe that he's the shining example um, of what a husband who honors God looks like. And it's difficult to believe that Solomon is the author of these songs and God's standard for husbands. I'm not saying he isn't, but it's just one of the difficulties of trying to understand who wrote this little songbook. Others believe it was written more for Solomon rather than about him. Uh, Some believe that um, there's some commentators and and theologians that believe this is purely allegory, meaning it's just a picture. This is not a a real love story between a real husband and a real wife. Um, I don't take that view. I believe this is a real, actual love story between a Jewish husband and a Jewish wife. It's in that context of Israel. Um, Some believe that this is a book. It's a collection of many poems. I love what one commentator described. He said, it's kind of like an opera. Now, Andrew and I have had the privilege of going and seeing the Phantom of the Opera. Now, the Phantom of the Opera is one story, right? But it's one story told by many songs. And I think that's what you you have here in the Song of Solomon. It's one story sung. So the wife will come out and she'll sing. All right, then the husband will come out and he'll sing. Right, and, you, and that, so it's a story like this opera, if you will, made up of many different songs. But I have to tell you that for every commentary I read, every podcast I listened to, article I researched, it seemed like there was so much different understanding as to how to interpret this book. One commentator said, "There is no book of scripture on which more commentaries have been written and more diversities of opinion expressed than this short poem of eight chapters." But although there's a lot about this little book that we don't know, there are some things that we can know from the Song of Songs. And again, I love what J. Vernon McGee, who's a Bible teacher, said, don't let what you don't know disturb what you do know. So we can spend so much time trying to figure out what Solomon's saying and miss exactly what we need to see and hear in this little songbook. So even there's a lot about this songbook that we don't know, there are some things that we can know. So this morning... Where we're going to go in our, in our time this morning is we're going to look at four things that we can know from the Song of Songs. And if time, we're going to look into chapters 1 and 2 and look at the wife's song. And from her song, unwrap a little bit of God's heart for a wife. God's heart for a wife. Now, this series is going to be very different. All right, we may... I, I'm, there's not going to be like a nice little bow we're probably going to be able to, to, to wrap after each session. So we're going to see how far we can get... And we'll be done, all right? And then we'll just pick it up in the weeks to come. But this morning, I want to share with us four things that we can know from this little songbook, this little eight-chapter opera, if you will. The first thing that we can know from the Song of Songs is that you can know that God is for 
marital love and the enjoyment of sexual pleasure between a husband and wife. You can know that from reading the Song of Songs. God is for marriage. And he's for the physical pleasure between a husband and a wife. You know that from reading the Song of Songs. And just think about that. What an amazing... um, what, what, what an amazing revelation about our God, the fact that he has put a, a songbook in Scripture specifically to, for us to see his heart, that he is for marital love. And you're going to read in the Song of Songs that this is a husband and a wife who, who they enjoy the pleasure of their oneness. I mean, you can't read the Song of Songs, in my opinion, and not come away going, I want what they have. <laughs> I mean, you read it, you're like, dude, how do I get that? That's awesome. All right, I want that for our relationship. I want that kind of intimacy with, for, for me and my husband. I want that kind of relationship for me and my wife. And it, that's on purpose. And we know also that God is for marital love because Jesus created it. Colossians 1 tells us that he's the creator. He made everything through him. John chapter 1 talks about how Jesus made everything and it was for him and by him and through him. So Jesus created marriage. He created the, the oneness physically between a husband and wife. And in Genesis 1.31, he looks at all, he made, all that he made and he said, it's very good. Very good. Just as being single, as Joseph shared with us last week, is very good. Being married is very good. They're just two different paths that God has people on to bring him glory. And both are very good. And Jesus affirmed this marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. And he affirmed it in Matthew chapter 19 when he looks at the disciples and others. And he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So we need to have this foundation, if you will, of biblical marriage. And biblical marriage, Jesus affirmed this. And if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus defines marriage as one man, one woman, wedding vows, exchange of rings, sign the paper, covenant love. Marriage is a covenantal relationship. That's God's definition. It's where Marriage is experienced and how God's best for marriage is experienced. And it's how God's best for sexual intimacy is experienced. And to believe and support any other different arrangement of marriage is to disagree with Jesus and to affirm something that he didn't. And we should want God's best for everyone. And that includes his best for marriage. But let me also say this about about sex, if you will. We're going to come back around later to this in the series. But if, if sexual desire and intimacy were flowers, all right, if they're flowers, then the covenant of marriage is the soil God has provided where those flowers bloom and flourish best. Marriage is where those flowers flume or bloom, bloom and flourish best and are most, that's a great word, and are most enjoyed, right, with the most passion and delight. So you need to understand God's best for sex is in the marriage bedroom. It is. And what we find in the Song of Songs is that God not only cares about your dating life, He not only cares about your married life, but He also cares about your sex life. He does. Second thing that we can know, we can know that God uses the Song of Songs to equip and train us for a marriage that brings Him honor. How do we know this? Well, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Song of Songs is Scripture. God has breathed this song to us. And we know from Paul's writing to Timothy that Scripture trains us for every good work. And so we can come to the Song of Songs, and from the Song of Songs we should be able to gather principles and truths that will equip us to have a good, great work of marriage that brings God honor. So we should not avoid this song. We should come to this song looking for what God's best is for the marriage relationship. Something else that we can know from the Song of Songs is this. That you can know that the Song of Songs is going to point you to the love of Jesus. This little song is going to point you to see the love of Jesus. This song, this this story, this real life story takes place in a Jewish context. And as you read the Old Testament, often God would use marriage language to describe his relationship with his Hebrew people. And so here what the Hebrews would do, I believe, when they would read the Song of Songs, they would see the heart and the love that God has for them as they would see that God is the groom and they're the bride. And so you're going to come away or you should come away from reading the Song of Songs having a better understanding of just how much Jesus loves you. How much Jesus loves his church. Because Jesus himself said that all of scripture points to him. Luke chapter 24, 27 and 44 through 47 and John 5, 39. And Jesus said, listen, all scripture points to me. And that would include the Song of Solomon. And so you know that when you come to this little songbook, this little opera tucked away in the Old Testament of scripture, you're going to come away and see the love of Jesus. You're going to come away and see just how much Jesus loves his people. John Piper said this, he said, The Song of Solomon is in the Bible, among other reasons, to make sure that we take seriously the exquisite physical pleasures between a bride and a groom. Now listen, he says this, The point is that we let the song stun us. I love that. The point is that we let the song stun us, that God would design such a relationship between a man and a woman from the beginning as the image of the covenant-keeping pleasures between Christ and His church. And again, coming back to J. Vernon McGee, listen to what he says, and I think you have the quote there on your, on your handout. He says, about the Song of Songs, this is amazing what he says, I know of no book that's going to draw you closer to Jesus and be more personal than this little book will be. Let that sit. That's amazing. What that should tell us is that as we come to the Song of Solomon, you should walk away understanding just how passionate, how deep Jesus' love is for you. And we know and can experience the love of Christ because we can read the Song of Songs. And one final thing that we can know from this Song of Songs is that we can know that Christian marriage, a marriage between a, a, a husband who follows Jesus and a wife who follows Jesus, is a way to live sent a way to live and make Jesus known through your relationship as husband and wife. Again, God would often use Old Test- in the Old Testament marriage language to describe his relationship with his Hebrew people. And then Paul and John in their writings in the New Testament often used marriage language to describe Jesus' relationship with his church. And so what this means then as, as a Christian husband, as a Christian wife, fellas, how you love your wife proclaims Jesus. Proclaims Jesus. And wife, how you honor and respect and submit to your husband proclaims Jesus. Proclaims him. 
It says something to the world about what you think about Jesus. And so how a husband loves his wife and talks about his wife, proclaims Jesus to the guys at work, at the gym, the neighbors next door, and how a wife talks about her husband and treats her husband, communicates something to those at the gym, the ladies at the Bible study, the ladies in the neighborhood or at the school, it communicates something to them about what you think about Jesus. I love that quote by Francis Chan. I don't know if we have it up on the screen. Francis and Lisa Chan in their book, You and Me Forever. They say, marriage is such a powerful way to display the gospel and the glory of God. It, Christian marriage, is the first place people will look to see if we really believe what we say we believe. And so people say, well, how can I share the gospel? Just, if, if you both know Jesus, just show Jesus. Just treat your wife the way Jesus treats the church. And you proclaim the gospel. There's a lot we don't know about this little songbook. And I confess to you, there's a lot I still don't know. But there's a lot we can know. We can know that God is for marital love and the sexual pleasure and oneness between a husband and wife in marriage. You can, you can know that this little book is going to draw you into the love of Jesus. You can know that this little book is a way to live sent and proclaim the gospel. But here's the problem. Unfortunately, our sin has deeply stained our view of marriage. And so it's tough to see and believe in and even want God's best anymore because we've stained it with our own sin. We've stained it. But that's why the Song of Songs, I believe, is so important because what we're going to see in this little songbook, what we're going to see in this little song, I believe, is what can be, what can be in a marriage when a husband and a wife both have received Christ's redemption and are expressing that redemptive love toward one another. That's what I believe we see here in the Song of Songs is what can be and what should be. Now let me take an aside here. And if you've ever been to a play or an opera or whatever, the stage is set with a backdrop, correct? It's usually set with a backdrop. And as we read this song and as we listen to the characters sing this song, the backdrop on the stage of the Song of Songs is the cross. It's the cross. It's the covenantal love of Jesus Christ. So as the wife comes out and she sings her song, behind her is the cross of Christ. And as the husband comes out and he sings his song, behind him is the cross of Christ. And that's so critical It's not a contractual love. So as we hear the wife's song and see God's heart and his desire for wives, it's not based upon on if your husband is treating you right or if your husband has said nice things to you, if he holds up his end of the bargain. That's contractual love. Covenantal love says, I will love you regardless of how you love me back. That's covenantal love. That's the cross kind of love. Paul said, God's demonstrated his own love for us that we were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have to see as the wife stands forward and sings her song, as the husband stands forward and sings his song, that behind them stands the cross of Jesus. A love not of contract, but a love of covenant, selfless, endless, redeeming love, because it's the cross that will push you to love your wife the way Jesus loves the church because it will be the love of Christ that will push you to love your husband the way the church should love Jesus. You've got to understand that that's the backdrop is the never-ending, inseparable love of Jesus for you. It's the only way a marriage like we're going to read about in the Song of Songs is possible. Only. Is with understanding that the cross is behind us. 
pushing us and that we are fully already loved and we do not receive our identity or our love from our spouse. We receive it from the person of Jesus Christ and we received it the moment that through his Holy Spirit we called out to him and he rescued us. We already have our identity. I don't need to get it from my spouse. I already have it. I'm a child of God, a child of, of him. And so the song begins with the wife taking center stage before the crowd. Off stage is this group, this little chorus, most likely of single women who are, who are observing. And we're gonna, they kind of sing a little stanza here and there throughout the song. So we're going to hear from them at points in the song, in the opera, if you will. And so the wife stands forward and she begins to sing her first song. And as she begins to sing her first song, we begin to hear the heart of God for a wife. Join me in chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Now then this chorus of people off to the side, they come in and they're singing now. We will exalt you, they say, and rejoice in you. Speaking specifically about the man. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. She continues, the wife continues singing, and she says, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but, not my, own, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Listen, as we look in chapters 1 and chapters 2, I think what we're going to see here is God's heart for a wife is that a wife is to desire, declare, and affirm her love to and for her husband. I think we see that here in chapter 1 and chapter 2. If we look at chat, verses 2 through 4, look at what she says. She, her desire is for her man. There's this desire for him. She wants the kisses to be his kisses. And she describes how his love is better than wine. It's his love that intoxicates her, that makes her head spin. Fellas, how you doing at that? How are we doing? Making your wife's head spin because of your love for her? Just ask her. Don't do it now. Later. All right? She talks about he smells good. Kind of cologne you're wearing, fellas. Ask her what she, what's her favorite. All right, his name. She talks about his name, right? And that refers to his reputation. He's a man of integrity. This is a man who's not a player. This is a man who's not flirting with ladies at work or at the gym. This is a man whose who's integrity is honest. He's rock solid. His reputation is solid amongst other women. It's solid because the other women come in off the stage and they sing and they affirm the wife's declaration of her man. Look at what they say. They say, we will exalt and rejoice in you. And it's talking about the husband, the man. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. They're, they're affirming this wife's response or her description of her man. They're saying, you're right. This is an incredible guy. This is a, a, a man of integrity. She's not afraid to tell the ladies at work, the store, the gym about her husband. She's not shy about declaring her love for him and her attraction and her respect for her husband. 
And there's this physical attraction. Obviously, you see that, right? This woman can't wait to be with this guy. She desires him and she, she declares it. And, and as we look at her description and her desire for her man, not only do we, we, do we see something about the wife, we see something very clearly about the man. Something very clearly about this husband, if you will. Look at verses 12 through 14 of chapter 1. She says, While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth his fragrance. Try using that line, fellas. All right. My nard is, it's smelling good. All right. You like my nard? Okay. All right. My nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Now, this is a different culture. We have to understand this, okay? These aren't things that you're probably going to go home and tell your wife or tell your husband, all right? These are probably going to have the same effect. But we need to understand that she's declaring first, in the very first few verses, her desire for her husband, and then she declares and affirms her love for him and to him. She says, look at verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. Now she speaks to him. She sings to him. She says, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. So she refers to him as this king that's possibly referring to Solomon if he's the author. Or it's a description of how she sees and thinks of her husband. And all throughout this song, she has this term of endearment to describe him. And the term of endearment she uses is, my beloved. My beloved. And expresses her joy in her husband. She describes him as a man who is close to her like a jewelry pendant hanging down from her neck. He's close to her heart. And henna blossoms reference how flowers that just brought things alive out in the field. And he makes her feel alive and he satisfies her and she's refreshed when she's in his presence. And basically she's saying, my husband, he's he's the best. He's exactly who I need. And if you look at chapter 2, verses 3 through 17, we won't read those verses, but she's pretty much doing more of the same. She's declaring her desire for him. She's expressing her, uh, her love for him, and not just for him, but to him as well. In verses 16 and 17, she says in chapter 2, My beloved is mine, and I am his. There's a sense of ownership for one another. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or young stag on cleft mountains. God's heart, I think, for the wife, what we see here is a wife who desires her man, her husband. And she declares it to him and to others, and she affirms her love for him and to him. But if you look at verses 5 through 7, Look at what she says. She referenced herself as very dark but lovely, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. She's suntan. And back in that culture, very different than our culture, that was not looked well upon. All the pretty ladies were fair-skinned. All right, but back then, if you had a suntan, you weren't considered very pretty. And so what's she doing? She's feeling insecure about her appearance. She's feeling insecure about who she is and what she looks like. That's what she's describing. And she says, my mother's sons, my brothers, they got angry with me and they made me go out and work in the vineyards. She's kind of like a Cinderella story, if you will. And then she says, but my own vineyard, verse 6, chapter 1, I have not kept. She's saying, I'm out here busy taking care of all this stuff. I've got to work and I don't have any time to take care of myself. 
And she's feeling insecure about who she is as a woman and her appearance. And she refers to herself in chapter 2, verse 1, I'm a rose of Sharon, or really a crocus kind of flower, which is just a common flower. So she's not feeling anything special about herself. She doesn't see herself in this way. But here's what's amazing. Where does she go? What does she want in those moments when she's feeling insecure? Where does she want to go? Who does she want to be with? Her husband. She says in verse 7, tell me, you whom my soul loves, where are you? I want to be with you. Because in those moments when I feel insecure about who I am and what I look like, I want to be with you because you, I know you love me for who I am. That's how you make me feel. That's who she wants to be with is her husband. And so not only do we see the heart, God's heart for the wife, I think we see a lot here about what God desires for a husband. Ladies, have you ever felt insecure about who you are and how you feel and how you look? And men, how's your response when you sense that from your bride? What's your response? Does she go to you knowing that you're going to be there to listen and to help her through those moments of insecurity? She goes to her husband. You see, there's more between these two than just physical attraction or sexual passion. There's this deep, redeeming, selfless, affirming love. And although the woman is the first to step out and take the stage here, it's her opening song that allows us to see a lot about her and a lot about what God desires for a husband. And I think what we see here just quickly in chapters 1 and 2 is God's heart for a wife is that she desire, she declare, and affirm to her husband her love for her husband. And we see that in chapters 1 and 2. And so the question that looms for us is this, what are the implications for us? What are the implications for us? As we come away, seeing a little glimpse into God's heart, here's where we're going to stop. All right? We're going to stop here. We're going to come back next Sunday, and I'll talk, and I'll begin by looking at the implications. So I'm going to ask the band to come. Really abrupt stop, isn't it? All right? But we want to do this, and part of that's intentional. All right? But next Sunday, what we're going to do, because of the sake of time this morning, Um, we're going to come back and we're going to get practical as far as what does this look like. Andrea is going to share what I was going to have her share this morning, but because of time, I think we just need to close this portion, if you will, because I I don't want to quickly go through the implications for us. But I do want you to look at your handout, and I do want you to see kind of these assignments, if you will, that we have, that we want you to begin doing this week. You know, and one of the things that I want to encourage husbands and wives to do this week is I want you to read the Song of Songs together. Husbands, you can take the, the, the part of the man, and when it's his turn to speak, you can sing it like an opera. Not sure how that'll go. And ladies, you can do the same, okay? Make it a little fun there. Enjoy that. All right? But I want you to read it together. And here's what I want you to do, all right? I want you to talk through, not only discuss what you read, but I want you to, how do you see Jesus in the Song of Songs? Where do you see Jesus in this? All right, and, and if you're single this, this week, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to read the Song of Songs. I don't want you to look for Jesus. I want you to see the love of Jesus for you. All right? I want you to see the love of Jesus for you in the Song of Songs. Moms, dads, I, I want you to spend time. You know, your kids need to hear from you as their parents, God's heart for marriage. They need to hear it from you. Tell them your story. <laughs> All right? Maybe it's not the prettiest story. That's okay. Tell them your story and 
point, to, point them to Jesus. But I don't want to just leave our time this morning by going, okay, let's stand and sing and we're out the door. You know, as I read the Song of Solomon, I read it and I go, you know what, I can't be this. <laughs> I can't. I will fail every single time. I will. I will. How do you love like this, guys? Ladies, how do you love like this? The answer, you can't. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. That's why. You want to learn how to love your wife? You look at the cross. You look at Jesus, not your wife. You want to learn how to love your husband? You look at Jesus, not your husband. That's how this happens. The cross is the backdrop. His covenant, overwhelming, redeeming, overflowing, lavishing love for you is what empowers you. And God, through His Spirit, He has placed His Spirit of love in you to be able to love like this. And He, through His power, through His strength, will enable you to love like we read in the Song of Songs. It's only through his love. And I want to close by just reading 1 John. Stand with me, 1 John chapter 4. Because it's the love of Christ for us that moves us to love like we read of in the Song of Songs. 1 John chapter 4. It's because Jesus paid it all that we can love and have marriages like we read of in the Song of Songs. And John writes, Be loved. Listen, this is what he's saying to you, church. He's saying, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made display, put on display, made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. Why? So that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved you, you also should love your spouse. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Father, thank You that we do not love like this in our own strength, but we love with the cross of Jesus pushing us with great joy and with great glory, motivated by the gospel to love each other in the way that you have loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.